Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode four of our podcast. Today we will hear about Glenn's personal journey to use a ketogenic diet to be a healthier person and a stronger cyclist. The ketogenic diet is controversial, but holds amazing potential for solving many metabolic health problems faced by the older athlete. Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Okay, Glenn. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, Joe. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited that we're going to have a special edition today. I know you're passionate about your carbohydrates and your carbohydrate conundrum, and we've been talking about doing this episode for a long time now, and we're finally going to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about this topic because... You know, like everyone else, I came into this field years ago and everyone talked about carbohydrates this and carbohydrates that. And, you know, there was bars, there was gels, there was little all kinds of things you can do to have on a ride to keep you going so you wouldn't have that dreaded bonk. And, um, you know, I, I followed along with the crowd and did the whole thing, but I was experiencing issues and I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So I thought today would be a time to kind of take a dive into this, this topic of carbohydrates and what we get right, what we get wrong. And hopefully give people an idea, uh, a way to understand carbohydrates in the in the big picture, not just the little picture, but in the big picture where carbohydrates really are valuable for an athlete. And let me say that I, I don't intend for us to to have a, a fanaticism about any particular diet that we advocate, even if individually we might feel very strongly. You know, clearly different diets work well for different people. And, you know, and if somebody's got something that they're doing and they like it and it's working well for them, great. You know, I wish that represented me. Uh, you know, I'm still kind of struggling for what's the best for me. Uh, you know, I tend to have a little bit high blood sugar uh, just genetically. I'm, I'm predisposed to that. And so I'm very anxious to understand how to be as good an athlete as I can be without over relying on carbohydrates. I agree. In fact, like I said, for all the years I've been an athlete, I'd say for the last, what, 30-some years, 35 years, I mean, my main fuel, the main thought has always been about how to maximize my carbohydrates and how not to run out of carbohydrates, how not to bonk. And I've done it in races in the past, and I've, many times I didn't take my fuel properly, and I didn't, and, you know, there are a lot of issues with carbohydrates. And over the last, I'd say about the last five years, I've really been playing with my diet quite a bit and trying different concepts trying ideas and I come up with kind of a more overall concept and I think that understanding the basis for where this comes from and not so much how to do this or how to do that but understanding the basis for it will give you a better understanding about how to modify your diet appropriately if you're experiencing some of the problems that I was experiencing. Well I look forward to hearing more about that Glenn. <laughs> All right well let's let me start off with the, the first thing I think is kind of funny and I call it this like I said the carbohydrate conundrum. Um, we've been told for all these years that and, and it, it makes sense that carbohydrates are your fuel, are your energy. And therefore, if you're running out of energy, you need to eat more carbs. And of course, well, I'll never forget the experiences back in the day when I, you know, carbohydrate I took carbohydrate loading to an extreme. I remember having that the big the big pasta the night before a big event. That was a huge thing. It was a big party usually. And we I'd pig out on pasta. And you know, sure, I, I, did that. I didn't necessarily have a good result the next day. So I didn't, and I, I looked deeper to carbohydrate loading and realized I was doing it all wrong, but that's just another thing. It's just, you know, what people are saying, oh, you got to load with carbohydrates before a big event. So I did, didn't work very well. 
And then, of course, you have the days when you bonk. You go out on a long ride and you just, I would, I mean, I, I would come back from these long rides. I think I said this earlier, and I lived in San Francisco and I'd ride through Sausalito. And there are all these restaurants. And of course, as you pass by the pizza place, you're like, oh, I die for a pizza. Then you go buy a steakhouse. Oh, I die for a steak. And by the time you come home, you have all these ideas of food you want to eat. And you're just starving because you're just, you bonk so bad. And um, I discovered that that's not a part of my exercise anymore, which is exciting. And that's why I want to talk about these things that I get back from rides. I'm not hungry anymore, which is a great thing. So back in the day, we were told that carbs were good for energy and protein was good for building muscle and fats. Ooh, they were bad for athletes. That's what I learned back in the day. You know, that kind of fit into the fats were sort of this useless thing that made you fat. Mm -hmm. And then I ran across, you probably heard of the Sears diet and the concept of 40-30-30, where it was lower on carbs, higher on fat. Yeah, the zone and, diet, right? Yeah, the zone diet. Yeah, the very serious stuff. And I remember I followed that thing and I, I started playing around with diets. And then, of course, the one that really got me was the South Beach or the, um, the Atkins diet. And it was high in fat and low in carbs. And it was like, you know, for me, I was like, this is crazy. It's just totally off the charts. It's really bad for you. And fats are bad for you. And, you know, mind you, I was trained as a, as a Western doctor. And so this is what I was told and as I was taught. And so these diets were clearly wrong. However, people were losing weight. And I was like, how could this diet work, you know? And then, of course, when um, the, fat, the Atkins guy passed away and he died, you know, of all kinds of issues, he said, well, diet can't be any good for you. It's all wrong. It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, when so many people are losing weight and getting fantastic results and talking about not being hungry, and me as an athlete, I was hungry all the time. And maintaining my weight was a difficult task. Keeping my energy during a ride was a real issue. And so I was thinking, there's got to be a better way. So I started looking into this keto diet the idea of ketosis, what does it mean? And it's been now a four or five year journey and it's been difficult, I have to say. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. But looking back, I'll never go back to what I had before, never like that, now that I understand the principles. And I really wanna bring these principles to light because I think understanding the principles makes sense. And then you realize that ketosis is not some off the wall diet. I mean, like the low carb or like the Atkins diet, the South Beast diets. It's actually something that's actually quite beneficial to you long-term and short-term. And so I think it'd be good to discuss these issues and then see how it falls into or how it helps athletes become better athletes. I, I agree. And hopefully, as a part of your talk here, you can address the question that I have that I think a lot of people will have, which is they've tried the keto diet you know, for a period of time and found a lot of things that they liked with it, You know, me in particular, it solved a lot of digestion issues and uh, and absolutely was a weight loss miracle. Totally lost the feeling of hunger. It seemed like permanently, no matter what I did. And I did have long-term energy, never got hungry, could ride all day. But what I couldn't do was put out high power. Mm -hmm. uh, my legs felt empty. Now, given that I only did this program for three or four months. It's been a few years now. Maybe I didn't do it long enough, or maybe I did it wrong. Uh, but I, I look forward to hearing what you're going to say. Yeah, well, I, I experienced those very same things too. I mean, I think of one of the races I did, um, and I was in ketosis, and I had no power. I mean, I literally, my power wasn't there. Um, you know, it was just like, this doesn't work. I was thinking, this thing just can't work. And so I, I struggled with that as well too, that how can I, as a high-performance athlete, um, if I'm not eating carbs, how can I get by? 
And it wasn't until Katie Compton gave me a clue and she said she tried keto. And, you know, she was like sex of the world championships and cyclocross. And she lives here locally in town. We're on a bike ride. We're talking about ketosis. She was saying, well, try a more complex carbohydrate like sweet potatoes um, as a carb loading. Now, the problem about carb loading, if you're on a low carb diet, there's low carbs throughout your system. And you're using primarily ketones as your energy source. So the idea of eating carbohydrates, one of the problems that eating a higher carbohydrate diet kicks you out of ketosis and when you're kicked out of ketosis, unfortunately, it may take up to a week to get back in again. So unfortunately, when you have a high-carb diet, you're going to be out of keto for a while. And so this became an issue. But over time, I realized there's a better way. And I think, let me talk about the better way and the, the bigger system, the bigger principle. I'm going to do it through a series of analogies and try to you will get like a question and answer type thing. So let's, let's get started. So imagine that you're going on a long trip in your car, let's say from, I don't know, Colorado all the way over to Tennessee to say hi to your friend Joe. And um, you have the option of carrying a small gas tank, about 10 gallons, or an option to carry a gas tank that kills about 1,000 gallons. Now, the obvious question is, which gas tank do I bring, the small one or the big one? Well, that sounds like a trick question, Glenn. <laughs> no, no tricks. It's a simple, it's a, it's a common sense question. And obviously, the majority of people, I've never had a person say the 10-gallon tank. They always say the big tank. And I go, well, great. That's because you have to stop and refuel every, every, you know, every 10 gallons worth of fuel. It's maybe only depending on your mileage, how far you have to go. You'd be stopping a lot to get gas. So you'd carry the big tank. Now, if you understand it, our bodies have two fuel sources. One source is very, very small, small tank. And the other one is a very large, a massive tank. In fact, from caloric numbers, the small tank can only hold about 2,000 calories. The large tank, on average, holds between 50,000 to maybe half a million calories, depending on the body. So we carry both these gas tanks with us, but we only use one gas tank. And that gas tank is the small 2,000 calorie tank. That's your carbohydrate reserve. The big gas tank is your fat reserves. And your body stores the fat for a purpose. The problem is that we never utilize it. And therefore, it never it just continues to accumulate based upon the things we do in our, in, our, in our lifestyle. So what it comes down to is really very simple. Your body is designed to store fat. And the reason why it's designed to store fat is because back in the old days, before we had refrigerators and the modern conveniences of you know, food 24-7, literally, always available to us, back in the old days, that wasn't the case. There would be periods of time when you didn't have access to food. And that, that could be maybe for days or weeks or months. And fortunately for us, had our ancestors not been able to store fat, we wouldn't be here today. And so therefore, I can say unequivocally that our ancestors had to have been quite good at storing fat for us to be here. Because they didn't get, if, if like I, I used to tell you all the time, if your parents don't have children, you can't have children. That sounds sensible. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. But in true, if your grand or great grandparents or great, great, great grandparents couldn't store fat, they wouldn't have survived times when the food was not readily available. And so because our, our ancestors had that ability, we had that same ability today. In fact, the, the actual message to store fat is your insulin levels. Insulin's primary objective is to tell the body to store fat. We think of insulin as to lower blood sugar, but that's a side effect of storing fat. 
So when blood sugar is rather high, the body stores fat because insulin is triggered to say store fat. When the blood sugar drops, insulin levels go down as well, and the body is not in fat story mode. And you hear a lot about glycemic index and everything else. What it comes down to is simple sugars, simple carbohydrates, raise blood sugar rapidly and cause a spike in insulin, which causes the body to store fat. So the majority of people today are living in a fat storing environment. Their body's storing fat. Now, the irony of all this is we never get to the place where we use the fat. And that's what's so interesting is that by doing low carbohydrate, the low carbohydrate lowers your blood sugar and the blood sugar becomes a trigger to stimulate the production of burning the fat. So it's very simple. As you lower your carbohydrates, your body burns fat, but it does this very inefficiently because we haven't done this in so long. It's like it's there, but you have to kind of get the system up and running. And because we might just do a low carb diet for a certain period of time, we don't necessarily stay in this ketosis state for a long time. So my philosophy goes back to primitive times when food wasn't readily available. And as a result, our bodies had to learn how to both store fat and utilize fat as an energy source when food wasn't readily available. So essentially it goes back to the idea of fasting, a sort of a fast, but the fast is determined by the environment. In our modern society, no one really fasts except those who believe in fasting as a part of life. And so the average person won't do a fast because when you do fasting, and I've done this in the past before, in fact, coming up, Thanksgiving's coming up very shortly now, for the last 11 years, I fast during Thanksgiving. And I've always found fasting incredibly difficult to do because by about 24 hours in, my blood sugar is so low that my energy is down. I have a terrible headache. I feel just horrible. And fasting is hard to do. And now I have to say fasting is a piece of cake. It's easy to do. In fact, it's almost a part of my daily life is fasting naturally happens. I don't have to eat because my body basically has its own food source that will last quite a long time without me doing any intervention at all. Sound like a lucky man. <laughs> let's talk about this from the perspective of, that's kind of like the, the, the broad picture. The problem we have right now is that we always have food readily available. We never go into fasting, whether voluntarily or because of the environment. And so our bodies are not good at utilizing fat as a fuel source. And so what you have to do is teach your body how to use fat as a fuel source. And there's various ways to do this. You know, the idea of getting into, into a ketosis diet is low carbohydrate, high fat diet. And that, to be honest, is difficult to do. And the reason why it's difficult to do is because there's carbs all around us. And getting rid of carbs is hard to do. And when you do, we're so hooked on carbs that we crave them. And so it's very easy to get out of ketosis. And I know um, when you first get into ketosis at the very beginning, it's particularly difficult. If you kind of, if you blow it and you have something carbohydrate, you just can't resist. And you decide to have a meal of pasta or have some rice or something that's high in carbs. What happens is that it kicks you out of ketosis. And when it does so, it doesn't, you don't readily get back in again. You've got to go back to the process again and start from square one and go back to low carb and it's difficult. And it, it would take me weeks sometimes if I got out of ketosis to get back into ketosis. And so I found this low carb diet very difficult to do. As I remember from my own experience, the getting into ketosis was a, a very miserable experience. Uh, I understood that the issue was that my brain was screaming that it was starving to death because uh, it wanted the glucose, it wanted the carbohydrates. That's right. And it was un, it was unused to burning the ketones, the the fat essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't want to use that. It just wanted to scream and make me 
hungry and make me crave these carbohydrates. So to get kicked out with one indiscretion and then it takes a week to get back in, that's a tough road to hoe. It absolutely is a tough road. And um, I, I struggled with it for a long, long time. And then I discovered something, which looking at the big principles, that made it ridiculously easy to get into ketosis. And I call it the fast way and the slow way. The slow way is the way most people enter ketosis. They basically start cutting back on their carbohydrates, craving carbs all the while, and it might take them weeks to months to get into ketosis. And then if they have one at discretion, they're back at square one again. So I found a simpler way, and actually it's a more natural way of doing this. If you remember when I talked about earlier, the basis for the reason why we use fat as a fuel is that if our food supply goes away, if there's a famine, which is a more extreme case, or let's say winter comes and food's not readily available, or you know there's no vegetables because everything's frozen. I mean, this is the way of life. If you live in an environment where you're more attached to the environment, you can't grow food in the wintertime unless you have a greenhouse. I mean, you can't get food off the shelf if you're living in the wilderness someplace. You have to eat what's available to you. What happens is that if for some reason you have no access to food, what happens is you, you're not eating and your blood sugar starts to drop. And it'll drop and keep going down. And at some point in time, the body says, you know, the alarm's trigger and it says, I need energy. And so it starts to take the fat that's stored as fat and turn into ketone bodies. And the body learns to use that as a fuel source. So it replaces, in fact, what happened to me is that when I fast, in, back when I first started this, my blood sugar would drop to very low levels, down to the 40s and 50s, so extremely low levels. And I'd have the shakes, I'd be hungry, I'd be, have a terrible headache. And um, then my ketones kicked in and my, my blood sugar started to go back up again and it went back to normal levels. And once that happened, I realized, wow, that was kind of cool. I haven't eaten anything, but my ketones stabilized my blood sugar. My blood sugar is now normal. I'm okay. And so I didn't have to eat until... Well, I didn't eat for quite a while, actually, four or five days and wasn't hungry at all. I had heard this before, that when you fast sometimes, you won't be hungry. And I thought, how can that be? Because 24 hours in, I was starving. And so I realized that the fast way to get ketosis is the way you naturally would in the natural environment, which is you run out of food. You run out of food and you basically have no food to eat. And as a result, your blood sugar drops and you enter ketosis automatically. That's the way it's designed to work. I thought you were going to go down a different path. Uh, I thought you were going to say like, oh, when, to accelerate going into ketosis, I take ketone supplements or, you know, I consume MT MCT oil, which, you know, quickly turns into ketones. But you're saying, I just stop eating. It's really simple. It's, in fact, it, you know, I've seen in the stores, you can go online and buy those keto foods. They're really expensive. I mean, this is really, it doesn't cost anything. Just stop eating. Now, of course, obviously, there's food everywhere in my house. I can always find food. But the idea is that by fasting, my body will start to utilize ketones as a fuel source for survival. That's what would happen in the, in the natural world. If you didn't have a refrigerator, you live in the wild someplace, and you only have what's available to you, there'll be periods of time, and it might go for a week, it might go for a month, it might go for months, where there is no food available. And you have, in order to survive, you must use ketones as a fuel source. That's why the fat is there. And so what your body survival mechanism is, is that when blood sugar is high, your body is in fat storing mode. When blood sugar drops because there's no food available, your body uses the, the fat cells as an energy source, and that's what keeps you alive. I, I remember in our last conversation, you talked about how much you hated cold and in particular cold water. 
and thought I was an, a crazy person for taking ice cold showers. I think a lot of people are thinking you're the same uh, when it comes to, oh, it's easy. Just don't eat. <laughs> well, that sounds like the worst thing that anybody could be inflicted with. Actually, um, it's fantastic. I looking back now, I, I mean, like I said, I used to hate fast and I had friends of mine who were just big on intermittent fasting. I was like, I don't get it. Why would I want to subject myself to that? Like a cold shower. Why would I want to do that? And now I realize that fasting is a piece of cake. Now, if I look at my blood sugar, when I stop eating, my blood sugar stays the same. It's like I have a, a weight in the old days before I was using my fat as a fuel source. If I stopped eating, my blood sugar would drop and it would drop and eventually drop to a point where I was ravenous. That's what happened on bike rides. I ran out of blood sugar and it, it bonked. Essentially, I could barely ride home and I was starving when I got there. Now, as my blood sugar starts to drop, the ketones kick in instantly and they regulate blood sugar. So my blood sugar is incredibly stable now. It really drops more than about five or 10 points. So it's very, very consistent. And what's nice, whether I eat or I don't eat, my blood sugar is stable, which means that I'm not hungry. I don't eat. If I'm hungry, I might eat a meal. If I don't eat a meal, it doesn't matter because my blood sugars, my um, my ketones kick in and keep my blood sugar normal. So for me, it, it makes life very easy. I don't have to eat when I get hungry. Whereas if I was in a rush, I couldn't eat a meal. I just, I run out on before a bike race. I wouldn't eat. It doesn't matter now. I can do a bike race on an empty stomach. My body has all the fuel it needs in the fat that's stored in my body. And I can run a bike race or do a bike race with ketones. And we'll talk about this a little bit down the road here about some of the issues about ketones and carbs and how that all works. But For the sanity of our listeners, I have read uh, that you can kickstart ketosis by consuming ketones, which, which come in a salt or in an ester. Uh, and they are expensive, as I understand it. Um, but also MCT oil is a, a, a nice, a less expensive way to go. You know, a lot of people do the bullet coffee thing with butter, but what my wife does is she puts MCT oil in her coffee in the morning and that's that's how she kickstarts her day. Well, I, I figure my logic is that, you know, if the trigger to stimulate the production of the ketones is low blood sugar, then when you add like MCT oils or things of that sort, they'll, they will raise your blood sugar slope somewhat. But the thing is that they'll kind of slow down the process. I want to get into ketosis as fast as possible, and I want to stay there as long as possible. And so there's a, there's a point of this I want to address down the road here about how my diet is very different from what it was back when I started ketosis. In fact, now it's very normal compared to what most people eat. I can get away with things I couldn't get away with before because of where my body is and what's happened. Ah, uh, Well, that's interesting. So maybe there's the saving grace for our sanity is that it there's just a period of time where things are really hard and delicate, but eventually your body stabilizes. Um, okay. I, I am curious, Glenn, to understand why MCT oil, which is just fat, increases your blood sugar. Why or how? <laughs> well, either either way would work for me. Well, all it is that the body is using the, the fats to raise blood sugar is what it is. It's, it's, it's not making glucose but it keeps your blood sugar stable. And I can't explain all the physiology very well here because I don't quite understand it all. It's quite detailed. But your fats, your ketones, will keep your blood sugar stable. That's the bottom line. And your body runs on two fuel sources, either glucose or ketones. And your cells have two ways to power themselves with blood sugar. But the blood sugar is necessary to keep the brain, everything else operating normally. So um, when you add the, the fats, the thing about fats is that they don't, they don't push the insulin levels up. 
because of the way they digest. Whereas if you add carbohydrates and simple sugars, especially sugar or alcohol, for example, cause a spike in blood sugar, which causes insulin levels to rise, which then causes blood sugar levels to drop because your body stores it as fat. And when the blood sugar drops, you know, you're back to where you started from. Ketosis. And it shuts off the fat burning, as you had said earlier. Exactly. Yeah, one of the ways to describe it is like, you know, for pretty much my whole life, I mean, I've never been in ketosis. And so what happens is that the, the metabolic ability to take fat and convert it to ketones is not very efficient. And so as a person goes into a low-carb diet, what starts to happen, the body starts to learn, in a sense, or relearn how to take the fat stores and make ketone bodies which the body can burn as a fuel source. But the problem is that that process is so tenuous that when carbohydrates are reintroduced, it shuts off the system altogether, and it takes a while to restart it again. It's kind of like a, having a factory, like a ketone factory. And basically, it hasn't been used in 50 or 60 or how many years you've been around. And suddenly you decide to kind of, let's open the factory up. And it's all, you know, nothing really works. The place is all broken down and it's all filthy and needs to kind of get cleaned out. You got to hire new workers and get the building put together and everything else. And then, you know, you get the ketones, starting to, you know, get little ketones out. And then suddenly it's like, you have some carbon. Okay, shut it down. And they shut it down again. And it's back to square one. And you got to kind of rehire the workers and retrain them all and get the, everything operating. That process takes a while to get going because it's been so, it's been idle. And most, most humans that live in this generation, they haven't used ketosis. And so the factory that, or the, the metabolic machinery that makes the ketones is not very functional and it needs to be brought to speed. I see. I wonder if there's also an element of, uh, as we've gotten older and we've got, you know, all of us to some extent or another, maybe me more than some is uh, uh, with metabolic disease and insulin resistance that our body has produced insulin with, you know, whatever uh, carbohydrate that has been consumed. Uh, but because of the resistance, the, not only the blood sugar remains a little high, but the insulin remains a little high. And so mm -hmm. it, it sort of indefinitely shuts off the fat burning. Mm -hmm. Well, it, you're, that's a really good point because in fact, um, in a, in a more primitive environment, think about where sugar comes from, the sugar cane um, or beets and things. If you think about those foods in their natural environment, they have a sweetness to them, but the sweetness is actually bound in a very fibrous substance. If you were to ever eat a sugar cane, I remember I used to get, as a kid, to get sugar cane and just suck on it, and you could suck the sugar out, but you couldn't really chew it because it was all fiber. And so we refine it to a pure white crystalline substance, which causes a spike in blood sugar. And we've added it to other food sources, which normally wouldn't be present in. So we have a lot of simple sugars out there. And what's happening, these simple sugars cause a spike in, in insulin levels. And then the receptors in the cells start seeing some insulin, they start shutting down the receptors. You get what's called in, you know, the intolerance, the insulin itself, or it's um, receptor dependent. So what's happening is that as we become, as, as insulin doesn't work as well because there's so much insulin, we get this insulin resistance, which then of course is like the type, the beginning of type two diabetes. If your environment is more primitive foods, not high in sugar, more from the environment the way they were normally intended to be eaten, you won't have these spikes in blood sugar and you likely will not develop the type 2 diabetes that we're seeing a lot these days. In such a case, we wouldn't react in such an extreme way to eating uh, the carbohydrate because first of all, it wouldn't be as concentrated lump of sugar. Mm -hmm. It would slowly bleed into the bloodstream as the body broke it away from the matrix that it uh, was in. Yeah, uh, And then as a result, we didn't need as much insulin and the insulin wouldn't hang around as long 
And so we could go back to our fat burning machinery that was already in good shape. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In fact, you've heard a lot about glycemic edge and glycemic index. So you want low glycemic index foods, complex carbohydrates, things of that sort are more complex. They don't raise blood sugar. They have a much lower glycemic index, whereas simple sugars, um, simple like pastas and rices and potatoes, they have a very high glycemic index, cause a rise in blood sugar. So the idea is that if you're looking at carbohydrate sources, try to go towards where the more complex, like the, the fruits and vegetable fruits are high in sugar, but I'm talking about the vegetables, the woody vegetables, the leafy vegetables are more complex than say, you know, your potatoes, your tubers, your roots and things, and your rice and your pastas on the other extreme. And of course, sugar itself and like, um, like alcohol, three carbon sugar. Those are the, the far left of the spectrum, the simple sugars and the far right would be, I call it wood, two by fours would be the more complex side of carbohydrate. Still a carbohydrate and only termites can really digest them. We can't utilize it, but it's a very high fiber, but complex carbohydrate. And when we talk about fruit, we often talk about a sort of a mix of glucose, which is the sugar that um, spikes the insulin and fructose, which does not spike the insulin, but has its own set of problems for the oh, body. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, what it comes down to um, is that when it comes to fruits, I eat my fruits in moderation and I focus on vegetables, but fruits obviously have a lot of good stuff in them. And so when you eat the fruit itself, it's better off to have very complex fruits. So for example, rather than drinking oranges, which used to be a favorite of mine, I'll eat the orange. Or now I'll go more towards the, the grapes and nuts and seeds and things, which are much more complex, high in fiber. When I first started ketosis, I remember doing a bike race and I was struggling. I was really having a hard time. And the research was suggesting that you couldn't be a high performance athlete and be in ketosis. Whereas as long as your exercise was more endurance based, and you've heard a lot about endurance based athletes using ketosis for marathons and things of that sort, long runs, the ultra marathons, for example, where they're running at about 85% of max. Once you go above 85%, the problem is that your body now hasn't, doesn't have the energy to drive the body. And there's, there's both a physiological and mechanical reasons and other reasons why that makes sense. And so back in the 2008, um, they basically put the nail on the coffin and said, yeah, endurance athletes can use ketosis for performance, but beyond that 85% of max, not going to happen. And of course, I, you know, as a bike racer, I'll go from below VO2 max to above VO2 max, you know, race goes fast, it goes slow. And I wanted to have the energy for those moments when I needed it and yet not be out of ketosis. I like the ketosis model. And so I learned that there was something going on. It was called keto adaptation. And back in the early days when I first started ketosis, what happened was if I had any carbohydrates, I was kicked out of ketosis. But I learned that over time, I could eat small amounts of carbohydrate and keep my body in ketosis. And I kept challenging my system and seeing how, what it would take to kind of push it out of ketosis. And over time, what I've learned is that my body will make ketones as necessary and carbohydrates won't push, push it out of ketosis. And this is the key thing because what I can do now is I can, I can, it used to be my body was depleted in carbs. And so when it came time for high effort, I had no carbs to burn for high effort activity. But now my body can have the carbs and have the ketones. And so I call this term, and you've heard it used in other ways, carb sparing. Because if I'm on a bicycle race and the effort is fairly low, there'll be moments when there's a lull in the race, I can be burning ketones as a fuel source. And then when I need to go for a hard effort or do a hard, uh, like a time trial type effort or a sprint, I have carbs available to me 
And they're there because I've, I basically loaded myself with carbs. So I have the benefit of two fuel sources. I'll tell my competitors, and this is very true, that I have two fuels and they run on one fuel. And so at the end of a bike race, oftentimes I have more carbs available because I've, I've spared the carbs using the ketones for those times when I need them only. And I burn on the fat fuel, the ketone fuel, most of the time when the race is at a lower level. Now, mind you, if the race is at high level the whole time, I will run out of carbohydrates like everyone else does, not bonk. But the idea is that most bike races have that, that, that they fluctuate from high intensity to low intensity. So for me, if I have loaded my carbs correctly, I will not be kicked out of ketosis by loading carbs, but I'll have the carbs available as a fuel source so I can combine fuel sources of ketones and carbs simultaneously. I want to push back just a little bit because I, I don't think it's as black and white as you've described. Uh, <laughs> if we never is. <laughs> get away from the ketosis notion and we just talk about what does an athlete do as they improve their fitness to be able to do go faster in a race, say, as long as they are at a aerobic pace, then they're burning fat and glucose. I mean, they're, they're burning fat, uh, at least in part of, of what they're burning. And of course, that's the advantage of building up your endurance fitness so that the more power you can put out staying in that oxygen burning zone, the less you're relying just on glucose to power mm -hmm. yourself. And so that is glucose sparing also. You know, I'm going to disagree a little bit with that. And here's the reason why I say that. And it's not because I disagree with the science behind it, but I disagree because of what happened to me. And the reason I say that, because I'd go on these long rides, that would be four or five hour long rides up along Highway 1 up north of San Francisco. And I remember that no matter what I did, I would bonk. I mean, literally after about 80 or 90 miles, my energy was just about gone. I'd carry gels, I'd carry bars, I'd carry food, I'd carry all kinds of things. And if I didn't eat, and even when I did eat, I would still bonk. Bonking meaning my blood sugar dropped really low, I could barely ride. It was a difficult time getting home. And I realized that no matter what speed I went at, I was burning carbs. And if I didn't refuel, I would run out of carbs. And I've heard the term, oh yeah, below 85% of max, you're burning fat. And that may well be, you'll, you'll actually be better than you burn the carbs specifically. But it, it wasn't, in my experience, beneficial to do long rides and think I'm burning fat. I wasn't burning fat at all. Well, it is interesting how individual variability gets into play here. And, and, uh, and I wonder if your efforts to combat the bonking by eating carbs while you were riding or racing was contributing to you not burning any fat, even when you were in a, a lower intensity. My own example is a little is essentially the opposite of yours. Maybe it's I'm more of a slow twitch athlete anyway. Uh, so people are different, but generally speaking, that that's what I, how I understood that the physiology worked. That if you could stay in the oxygen burning zone, then your body can burn fat and you're sparing some of your carbs that you can save for the final sprint or responding to attacks. And then you need to recover back in the oxygen burning zone. It sounds very similar to what you're arguing is a benefit of doing ketosis. And maybe ketosis is just even more of that benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no question now that um, I, I go on long rides, you know, 60, 70, 80 mile rides. I carry no food. I do that on purpose. I don't carry any bars, no gels, nothing. I have my water and that's all I carry. And I know there's a rest stop on one of these long rides we do on Saturday, Saturday rides. And everyone's stopping to get food and they have to pull out their bars and they're munching on bars and I don't need to. In fact, what I was doing was I would measure my ketones, take a blood test, 
before I left. And because I would, I would eat carbs coming into the ride, my ketones were at zero, which means I was running on carbohydrates. And then what would happen was when I got back my ride, I measured my ketones again. And I was seeing between 1.8 and 2.4 of ketones. So what would happen was that during the ride, my body starts making ketones. And so I've used now the exercise as a means to actually drive the ketones. So if I feel like I had a lot of carbohydrate this last week or so, and I want to kind of stimulate my ketones, I go for a bike ride don't carry any food with me, keep the exercise level low and and my ketones come up again. So now I can monitor my ketone levels. And I find that when I do these long rides now, when I get home, the opposite happens where I used to be totally hungry and bonking. Now I feel full. I literally feel like I just ate a five course meal and I feel full. And unfortunately, I'm supposed to eat after I get back from a ride to replenish your calories, but I have no desire to whatsoever. In fact, like I said, I feel full. I don't feel like eating. And this is the complete opposite of what it used to be. Sure. And so for that reason, that reason alone, I love the idea of being in ketosis for bike rides because I can go all day long and not run out of fuel. Well, I guess that presents a different problem that most people have, which is you've got to keep your strength up somehow. Well, I've calculated that I probably have about 50,000 calories stored as fat in my body. I'm about 8 to 9% body fat. And so that's a lot of calories. I mean, if I can only store 2,000 calories you know, in, in carbohydrates, I can burn through that literally in a bike ride. But um, 50,000 calories, that'll last me quite a long ways. Yeah, this uh, Thursday, I'm going to eat 50,000 calories myself. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Thanksgiving, man. Oh, right. Of course. That's right. Well, like I said, well, this has been my 11th year of fasting on Thanksgiving. And now the fast is a piece of cake. I start on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, and I go to Friday morning at 6 a.m., so a 36-hour fast. And I did it the last couple of years. It's been a piece of cake. It literally was... No big deal. I'm not hungry. Because once I get past a certain point, the hunger goes away and I feel the hunger. Well, let me tell you that ever since I did do my three or four months of ketosis uh, a few years ago, it did change me permanently where I I feel hunger uh, much less. It may be true that I, I feel the effect of um, sugar crashes more now. Um, so maybe it is, it's had some positive and negative effects on me. But at the time, I liked the effect in every way but one and, and even said out loud to multiple people that I was never going to come off of it and only did decide to come off of it because race season was getting started because I was going to do crits and track all short, powery stuff. And I just couldn't do it with empty legs. And also I had read which and you may be able to respond to this. I had read that if your body is not used to having uh, glucose to burn for making power with your muscles, then uh, it's not good at it. It loses some of the machinery for making power with glucose. And so when you carbo load from a keto state to try to have the, the jet fuel for your race, your body is not any good at using it. So you still don't get the power that you got before. Anyway, so that was sort of the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, Obviously, that's not your experience, or at least not having done it for years, that's not your experience. Do you have any idea why it changes? I mean, doing it for only four months wouldn't work for X reason, but doing it for a year would work? Oh, yeah. This is the thing that's, that's what makes it so. I mean, if it was the way it was in the beginning, I would be off with myself as well, too. It was just too difficult to do. The key thing is that your body adapts and it adapts because 
you stay on a low carbohydrate diet much of the time. So you're forcing your body to use ketones. Essentially, you're putting yourself in a situation where food's not readily available like it was in the old days. So your body has the system always available as a, as a fuel source. And so I, they, they use a term now, it's called keto adaptation. And it takes sometimes three to six months to become keto adapted. And what actually is happening is that if I eat carbohydrates before, it would kick me out of ketosis. Now I can eat carbohydrates and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. In the beginning, I have to be careful. But nowadays, I, I have tried experiments. I would flood the system with carbohydrate. I mean, I eat lots of rice, lots of pasta, foods I had basically thought I would never be able to eat again. And I will actually plunk down my, car my carbs and see if I can force myself out of ketosis. And for a short period of time, I notice that when I eat more carbohydrates, I get, I'm hungrier more. When I eat less carbohydrates, I lose, I, I lose that feeling of hunger. It's very, very subtle. And so if I want to bring the ketones back up again, I go for a nice bike ride, don't carry any food, and the ketones come back up again, and I'm back in ketosis. So the idea of keto adaptation means I can eat carbs and not be kicked out of keto. And this is the key because those first couple of years, I would race, and like you said, my legs felt empty. There was no fuel in my legs. I couldn't go hard without them hurting because there was nothing there. And now I can carb load, but I won't leave ketosis. And so like I said, before I would carb load, I wouldn't have ketones available anymore, and I'd run on the carbohydrates. And I could never fuel as much as I could before I was on a pure carbohydrate diet. But now I can basically load with carbs, not get kicked out of keto, and now I have two fuel sources where other athletes only have one fuel source. Okay. So that's become a tremendous advantage. So if I'm understanding you, not that your body is good at burning carbs. The problem early in ketosis that I had, and you also had when you were early in it, was that eating the carbs so that you could do the high power would kill the ketones. Exactly. So now you were shifting to a whole new fuel source right before the race and feeling empty. But now you keep the ketones and get the carbs. And so now you feel like you, you have your power back at high intensity. Exactly. I have my power back and I have the ketones for long distance at the same time. In fact, I think it was a couple of years back, it was 2017 when I went to the World Championships. I stayed in ketosis into a week before Worlds. And then throughout Worlds, I went back to a normal carbohydrate diet. And it took me about a month or two to get back ketosis after Worlds. The next year I went, I stayed in ketosis the whole time. The idea was that I could eat carbs, but I always stayed in ketosis. And so what I discovered is that that's the better way. That's the normal, natural and normal way that we have both fuel sources readily available all the time. Eating carbs doesn't kick you out of ketosis, but if you go back to, if you were to eat, if I were to eat carbs the way I used to eat carbs all the time, I would probably eventually set aside ketosis and it wouldn't be readily available again, I'm back to where I was. But I think it's been now about three or four years, I've had ketones constantly being pumped out. I'm good at turning it off and turning it on again. I can literally, if I eat carbs, turns it off, start working out, turns it back on again. And so it's a, it's a simple system. It's always there to maintain blood sugar. And um, it, it gives me tremendous flexibility now in terms of diet, in terms of foods, when I get hungry, when I eat. Um, my body's not constrained to eat a certain three, you know, three meals a day. It eats when it's hungry, which makes more sense to me too. And there's a lot of other benefits to ketosis. As an elite athlete, I have a severe high blood pressure issue as it runs on my family. And I had tried, you know, the, the different diets and everything else. Nothing really worked. I tried medication. That didn't work either. But on ketosis, I have normal blood pressure levels now, which I didn't have before. 
no medication whatsoever, just modify my diet. The benefits to ketosis now that we're discovering in the in the clinical fields about blood sugar levels, about inflammation, about, um, oh gosh, brain fog, clarity. I mean, I would have to say when I was at one of the conferences on ketosis, that I was writing notes basically and listing diseases that were mentioned in the process of ketosis. And I would have to say that every single major human illness was came on that list, every single one of them. And it's, it makes me realize that, you know, perhaps the more natural way for a bias to be would be in, into a state of, of ketosis, essentially going back and forth from carbohydrates back into ketosis. We're burning fat. That way there's no obesity because your body will burn the fat as necessary. It only stores much it needs. Right now, our society is what, 65% overweight? We're constantly storing fat, storing fat, storing fat, and never burning it. And so we keep getting fatter and fatter and fatter. A person who uses ketosis will lower their fat stores to a certain tolerable level. Mine stays at about 8 to 10%, that range, and it never fluctuates much beyond that. Because if I want to burn fat, just don't eat, and I burn the fat. If I want to put fat aside, don't know why I want to do that, but if I wanted to, I just eat more carbohydrates, I store more fat. Well, I find that very exciting, and, I, and I, I'm announcing here to the universe that uh, I am going to go back to a keto diet, and I'm going to commit to doing it for a year, and I'm going to see if what you say is true. And I hope mm -hmm. that it is, because the last time I went to a, a keto diet, it had nothing to do with riding a bike or athletics. It was all for my long-term health, for longevity mm -hmm. purposes, and then it turned out that it interfered with my athletics. But mm -hmm. if it turns out it wouldn't interfere, and maybe you claim it improves athletics, why, I'll never quit. I'll never stop. It's going to be the most important thing that I do dealing with my genetic blood sugar issues, which is central to so many problems, heart disease included. My family doesn't have neurological issues um, that turn up that, that we know about. But, uh, you know, I've read a lot about how ketone bodies are thought to be very protective for the brain. Ketones are anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's very good for your body. Right. Yeah. Well, we're gonna, I think we're going to discover over time um, because the science is becoming more and more conclusive that a diet that's, that's basically uses the fat to burn will be better overall. In fact, like I said, if almost every metabolic disease and every disease known to man is related in some way to our diet and we change that diet to a more um, ketone favorable versus carbohydrate favorable, I think we're gonna find those diseases will also go down as well, um, the management as a result and overall health will dramatically improve. It makes so much sense that it's kind of stupid to argue otherwise that if you have a physiological problem in your body related to defending yourself against sugars, in your body, then don't eat the sugars. I mean, how could you argue against that? Well, you know, it's the interesting thing you make that point because sugar itself is an addictive substance. And you think about this, you think about people who are addicted to alcohol. Alcohol is a three carbon sugar. You think about smoking, nicotine is part of the addictive substance, cocaine, heroin, things of that sort, opiates, for example. They all work the same channel. And the key thing is that there is a, an agent, a, a compound called naloxone, which blocks the receptor. And you find that if a person is addicted to sugar and you give them naloxone, it blocks the addiction to sugar. So if we have high sugar in our diet, in our environment, and we're always eating high sugar, we're addicted to sugar. So getting off sugar is just like an addiction. 
It's like getting off, it's, you know, withdrawal from your sugar, your sugar fix. Okay, Glenn. Uh, well, what else do we uh, need to tell people? I recommend if someone's going to do ketosis that you do get a, a kit to monitor it with your blood sugar and your keto levels. Um, uh, there's some inexpensive kits out there now. Keto Mojo is one that comes to mind um, where the, the the tests don't cost that much. They're quite expensive in the device. What test? Uh, like a keto test for your blood to prick your finger? Yeah, you got to prick your finger and take your blood and you take do a blood test and then you do a keto test. But the keto tests normally run about a dollar a strip. Now they're down around uh, 30, 40 cents a strip. So it's more affordable. And how important is it to do that? I think in the beginning, very important because, you know, you won't know what keto is, what keto feels like until you experience it. I can tell now when I, my ketones are up, I can tell when they're not up. If I'm going to be onto this, trying to get to where you are, you know, over the next year or so, uh, we may have opportunity to revisit this topic and see how things are going. As always, thank you, Glenn. It's been fun. You have a good night. Alrighty. You too, Joe. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion about the ketogenic diet for athletes. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the website, see all of our episodes, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Glenn and I will be back soon with a discussion about the logic of good training plans and the process of planning for training. See you soon.